I've seen feedback from customers that have used it thus far saying that this is like an incredible idea. This is so cool. I want this everywhere. Um, I think it will definitely be the way menus work in the future for sure. That I am absolutely certain of. All right, guys, welcome to the Bluemix podcast. Uh, major announcement, we have a new sponsor, Tornet. Shout out to Dixant, um, who came on our 14th episode of the podcast. He loved what we're doing so much that he wanted to show his support. Um, Tornet is a great team for anyone looking to outsource their technology to, by the way. Um, they work with a lot of startups. They work with a lot of full-form companies, organizations, uh, universities. Done, I've seen them do a lot of great work. Um, so this is how they describe themselves. Tornet is a team of technology priests operating across two continents who preach the power of technology to make a meaningful difference in their customers' ecosystem. They're a powerhouse of technology enthusiasts who believe that business value chains can be improved with the help of technology solutions. So if you're looking for any kind of solution to get built out, any technology solution, definitely reach out to Tornet. Uh, they're a great team. Perfect. And we're on with uh, Tap Menu. Yep, that's right. right. Nick? Yep. Um, you're the founder of Tap Menu. You're the technical founder, mm -hmm. right? So you're the programmer behind it. Yeah. Uh, is this your app? Are you, do you have co-founders? Um, I have a co-founder, yeah. So there's someone that I brought on. Um, it's a friend of mine. Her name's Cindy. Mm -hmm. um, she actually recently became a developer herself. Um, but because she was like interested in the idea as well, we thought, okay, let's just do it together. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's our company. We're both co-founders. Perfect. So you got a co-founder. You guys are both technical backgrounds. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, interesting. Probably me more so because I've been a developer for about six years now, professionally. I've done computer science at University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, but Cindy just went through a boot camp. She was really good at it, though. But she's still in which to boot camp? What is it? was uh, Bitmaker, which I think got Bitmaker. bought by General Assembly. So now it's yeah. General Assembly. Okay. Nice. And <clears throat> you uh, went to computer science at uh, University of Toronto? Yep, that's right. Yeah, you graduated from here. So more like a hardcore computer science degree. Yeah. How do you find the differences between these boot camps and... Uh, like and degrees? Degree, yeah. Um, so actually for web development, I would say that anyone that wants to get into web development, I would actually recommend doing the boot camp way first because A, it's a lot cheaper, B, it's a lot faster, and C, you can actually see if you like that kind of work environment in that space. Mm -hmm. I ended up really liking web development, so I stuck with that. Had I known I was interested in web development, I don't know if boot camps existed when I started university. Um, I started like around 2010. So maybe, maybe it was an option for me then, but anyone that wants to get into it now, probably a better way to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, university itself is really expensive, but if you want to get into things like machine learning and AI and the more like heavy duty algorithmic stuff, then computer science is probably still the route you want to take. Definitely. I mean, the market talks, um, like a lot of people in computer science especially, but a lot of programmers and developers in general talk very negatively about people come from come out of uh, these boot camps because they say they don't understand the backend knowledge required or like the depth of knowledge required. So they, they can only do the surface level work. Mm -hmm. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Like, um, I mean, you do hear that around a lot, but uh, it's it's frankly not a big deal. Like if you go through a boot camp, you're learning the stuff that you absolutely need to know, and then sure, you might not know about like you know. Uh, binary search algorithms or binary search trees or like sorting algorithms and things like that. But like half the time, these things are already implemented for you once you start coding, like through libraries or third party tools they use while you program. Mm -hmm. uh, me and myself, like even though I, w I have a computer science background, um, I'm mostly like a front end developer, which is usually what you are coming out of these boot camps. Yeah. And like I've dabbled in the back end myself, but there's already so many tools that make that part 
of uh, app development so much so easy, but I just use those rather than like developing yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, there's really like a lot of things that help you out as a programmer. Coming out of bootcamp, I think is a great starting point for anybody. Mm. What kind of tools um, do you recommend for like backend develop, like interfacing with the backend? Like um, so actually, for the app, um, I use Firebase on the backend, which is a serverless backend, which means that you don't really have to like set up your own servers or do any maintenance or worry about scaling or deployments. Um, it mostly takes care of everything for you. So that's a Google serverless solution, but there's like a lot of those, which mean that if you are primarily a front-end developer like myself, you can actually get away with not having that much backend knowledge and just like leaving that to a backend as a service, aka mm -hmm. serverless. Now, this is not meant for like any every kind of app, but for like many apps that require more just basic level interaction with the with like the end user, right? It can be used or anything with like a large database or a lot of um, interoperable features. I guess you require more of a custom backend. Um, actually, not necessarily. So, yeah. like, I would say the app that I made for Tap Menu is actually really complex and like full feature, and it can actually scale to like a size that, like, you know, if I were to hit the size where I'd have to pay a lot for the service, I'm more very successful. So it's not a problem. Um, but Firebase, yeah, you can deal with like really large backends, really complex queries to the backend, um, and that's not an issue. I would actually say that a service solution is great, not just for like front end developers, but also for startups. Um, because like architecting a backend and getting that stuff like down pat for a launch is actually pretty tough and service like takes the headache out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would actually say that like a solution like Firebase, um, I'm trying to think of others right now, I know they exist, but Firebase is the one I'm familiar with. Yeah, a solution like that is just better for any company that just wants to get off the ground quickly and like make an app that has a database, that has user authentication, that's secure, and you just want to like get MVP going and see how it goes. Right. I mean, the technology has really changed, landscape has really changed where it's e easier and cheaper than ever to deploy apps. Um, I think like the rule of thumb was like almost every two years, the cost of making an app was almost, almost halved, almost like a Moore's Law effect. Yeah, perhaps. This is my first time actually making an app myself that I'm actually trying to turn into a product. So I mean, I'm just fortunate to start now. I mean, it was a lot more expensive back in the day. But uh, so far, my costs have actually been zero in terms of development. Um, Right now, the Firebase usage is like so low that I don't actually have to pay anything yet. Mm -hmm. Until I get to like 10,000 users or something like that, it's probably going to be like very little actual cost to make. So how long do you take you to like build your app? Um, so I started it in earnest, um, I think early last year, probably around January last year. Um, but I was doing it on the side while working. Um, and then I was able to work on it uh, a little bit more seriously this year. Um, and then I had to pick up some more contract work. So I've kind of been working on it on and off. I, like, I work as I need money. And then when I feel like I have enough money to basically like nest for a bit, I'll go back to work on my app full time and like hammer it out. And then as needed, I'll pick up contract work or whatever. Um, but like altogether, I'd probably say there's probably about like nine to 10 months of like full time work in it. I mean, for an MVP, I probably over polished it a little bit. Uh, normally, an MVP is supposed to be a little rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. But for the way my app works, I felt like it would only ever gain any traction if it was a polished product. Because at the end of the day, the way Tap Menu works, you are no, essentially- Let me bring up the website. Sure. You can definitely show it. So it's basically competing with paper menus. It's a menu on your phone. So when it comes to something, competing with something as simple as like a menu that's already in front of you, it has to be like a really polished, seamless experience where people actually want to use that over the paper menu. So I like print features like having custom colors, custom, custom fonts, so that like the company could um, have their brand in the app. Uh, I made sure it was really fast um, because once again, you're competing with something that's not even digital. 
um, really lightweight because mostly can be used on mobile data. And I think it has to look nice because restaurants are about aesthetics and restaurant owners will only use something that looks good. They don't want like a, an MVP that you're trying to prove will work. They want something that looks like your customers would want to use. Mm. So this is a web application. Yep, right? that's right. Yeah. Uh, it definitely has a look of like a native app and that was like something that I did very purposefully because I think people would trust it more if it looks like a native application. Yeah. And in some ways it is because it's something called a progressive web application. Yeah. Which means that uh, even though you first visit it in your browser, um, if you like it enough, you can actually install it to your home screen and it looks just like a native app. Um, you can even like put in functionality so that it works uh, offline. So just download some material it needs once, uh, caches things better. And that's actually another way to save on data and get like a little bit of a speed performance boost to make it feel more like a native app. No, definitely. Like um, I, the other day I got a, a, a forwarded article from, my, from a friend from mm -hmm. CBS, I think. When I clicked it, it pre-downloaded an app onto mm. my phone. So I have a Pixel. So it pre-downloaded an app on the phone. So it first came up is the website, mm -hmm. but it was like an application, and it is already pre-downloaded onto my phone somehow. So all I had to say is they click here to finish it to become make it an app. Okay, yeah, that might have been uh, some added, some of those added features that you can do as a progressive web app. Mm -hmm. uh, mine's very bare bones at the moment, just yeah. because like I just basically wanted to have like an icon on your screen. Mm -hmm. If you were to come back to this restaurant, you wanted to quickly launch the app. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I there's a lot of cool things you can do with progressive web app. Yeah, I knew that was uh, that was kind of cool, but sneaky. <laughs> you know, I felt like you know, like I, I click this, I click a link from a friend, and you're downloading an app on my phone already. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, but I knew this feature was coming up, but the first time I experienced it. Yeah, I guess you could say sneaky or seamless, depending on your point of view. It's true. I think if once you get used to it, it's gonna be like okay, yeah, it's a regular thing. Yeah. But in the first few times, it's definitely if you're not expecting it, it just seems like a sneak attack. That is fair enough. Yeah. Um, the irony is that it's actually like less invasive to your phone because they're usually smaller, lightweight. Um, you get to preview the app before you download. Whereas if you go yeah. to the app store, uh, you might not always get what you expect, but like you see the app first and then it, you decide right there, do I like this or I want this on my home screen mm. as a normal app. So I think I actually prefer it overall, like as an overall competitor to the Play Store and the, the Apple right. Store. I think progressive web apps are like a nice. So progressive web apps you can download and use, well, you can use them on the website, of course, right, from a web browser. Mm -hmm. But like, if it has a web browser login, but like that kind of application, you don't necessarily need the Play Store app store. You can bypass it. Um, yeah, that's right. That's actually why some people feel like iOS might be a little, it's kind of funny. They basically coined progressive web apps, and they were the first to have like that kind of functionality on their platform. But uh, they're also usually the last to implement newer features and to like give full access to progressive web apps the way they do uh, native apps. because. That's the thing. If like progressive web apps can do everything that a native app can, it's actually kind of a way to bypass Apple Store, which obviously they don't want either. But at the same time, it's a better experience than like constantly going to the website mm. instead. Like if you're like an average, I don't know, um, or if you're like really into like the verge or like a certain tech blog, uh, you probably prefer to have the app because then you can just like cash in the morning, go on the subway, read it there. Um, but I think that's like the full kind of like extent that they want progressive web apps to go on iOS rather than being full featured apps. They basically want to be like enhanced websites. Yeah. Um, in my case, I actually do want more of those features because my app like makes use of things like NFC. Um, like it might make use of like storage and things like that in the future. So mine is probably more app-like than most websites, but I think iOS likes to keep it at just that website level. No, definitely. So this is really cool because you can definitely, you, like, like you say, like, like it says right there, you tap your phone to things. So NFC will pick it up. 
Yep. Or it's a QR code. Yeah. So actually, that was one of the learnings I had. So I had this in uh, two restaurants. Um, one was a buddy's place where I worked on a website for him, and uh, it was actually more a friend over friend. Hence, I had to work on a website for him to convince him to try it on his restaurant. And uh, one of the learnings I had there was that uh, the customers that were able to use it did really like it, but Unfortunately, most iPhones, except for the, mo the two most recent iPhones, uh, didn't have NFC functionality in that you could just tap an NFC tag and something would happen. Um, that's actually being introduced this month with iOS 13. So now iPhones all the way back to the iPhone 7, I think, can tap their phones to an NFC tag and have something happen. Um, but that wasn't possible until this month. So we uh, decided to start using QR codes. And the first time we actually tried the QR code method, was at the pitch event that I saw you at. Okay, nice. And I noticed that like people were using that a lot more, especially on iPhones, because it was intuitive. Some people, I even know QR codes were that popular, but it seems like people already know how to use them. Um, so I'm excited to like re, like to try my app mm -hmm. with this new launch method, um, because yeah. So getting back to the restaurant, uh, it's like some iPhone users found it pretty confusing. And um, additionally, I think one learning from that is that if you have to pay someone to use your app or incentivize them using your app. They're not going to be that invested in like getting their users to try it or whatever. So at this first restaurant, um, customers didn't really like it, but the staff wasn't trained on how to use it really. I would show them how to use it, but like I would actually drop by myself later to see if like they were using it right or if I could order through my phone. And it was always kind of like a little hit or miss because like the staff didn't know about it or they weren't informed by the manager. Um, so that unfortunately wasn't the best way to pilot it. I did get some learnings out of it, but that was, I guess, one, like more of a meta learning that like, if I do get some restaurants, I want them to be excited about it too, so that they'll train their staff on it. Uh, when customers come in, they might be like, hey, would you like to order with your phone, you know, try some new features, like see the menu items in greater detail, see pictures and stuff like that. Um, I want them to like maybe like encourage the behavior of using the app. Um, so then another place I tried it was at a board game cafe called A Game. Mm -hmm. And that actually went a lot better because this was actually like a friend of a friend, but like he was excited to use it. Um, so he, like, he would actually like tell customers about it. We'd give them like a little bit mm. of like a tutorial or whatever. And so that like made people use it a lot more. And I saw a lot more success in that location. Um, but once again, it was still a problem for iPhone users because we didn't have QR codes at the time. And we learned that if only one person at the table is able to use it, then they'll kind of feel guilty using it when other people can't. So it's really important that, A, we either make it so that everyone at the table has an easy way to use it, or we somehow instruct the one person that can use it mm -hmm. that they can order for their entire table. Yeah. Um, so that was actually something we put in the app as well. We like kind of like changed the messaging to inform the person using the app that, hey, you can order for your entire table if you want to through this app. And we also introduced the QR codes. Mm -hmm. We also also had this extra method I'm just going straight to a certain website, tapmenu.app, and inputting a code. It's just that sounds like a lot of work, so it people does, don't yeah. really like to opt for that. Yeah. Um, so originally, you wanted it to be an NSF, uh, NF, NFC. NFC. Um, so you put your phone close to it or tap, mm. the, uh, tap the little puck there, right? And it loads up the menu for that restaurant. Yeah. And you can order food to your table. Yep, that's right. So I guess I mean, to just fully explain the idea, which I probably should at this point, mm. um, the way it works is, we have things like Ritual and Uber Eats now. People are used to ordering things on their phone. Um, I think most people are comfortable with that experience. So my thought is, like, if you're sitting down in a restaurant and you're waiting for your server to come by, 
wouldn't it be nice if you had that experience right away and you could just order through your phone and see things in greater detail like you're able to with Ritual, with Ritual or Uber Eats. Mm -hmm. um, so you could see things like pictures, which you sometimes have on those apps. Um, and I actually thought it'd be cool to me like add in an even greater level of detail than you see on those apps, so things like calorie counts, which are now a requirement in Toronto if you're like a franchise greater than 20 locations in Toronto. You have to show calories, so I think it'd be cool to see that on the app. Um, eventually, we can do things like track your calories if you use this app in many places. Um, so yeah, you can see pictures, calorie counts, uh, like things like food temperature. You could filter by like if it's vegan or vegetarian or halal or whatever food preferences you have. Um, you can filter by price. And you can even save these filters too. So if you go to another restaurant, you're just the kind of person that always mm. wants like cheap vegan things. You can just like see it on the menu right away. Uh, so to me, it's just like a more convenient experience all around. Like when That's I sit really down, interesting. Yeah, I want to order right away. Um, I'd also like to pay right away, which is mm. something else that we offer through the app. It's about getting so things done quickly. So you're saying like if you have food preferences, it'll highlight that on the menu across restaurants. Yep, that's right. That's really interesting, right? Because yeah, one of the things you have when you go to a new place is like how to filter to the menu really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you have food preference or you can't eat a certain thing. Yep, um, exactly. Right? Um, I myself am a creature of habit. Anytime I go to like a family bar and grill kind of restaurant, I usually want the hamburger. Mm. Um, so it's nice if like the app does cater to my to my needs. Yeah. So it will highlight on your preference. Yep. That's right. For you, right? Like, that's a major thing because like the glutton like the gluttony of choice, right? I guess like when you have mm -hmm. too much choice, it's really hard to decide what to commit to. Yeah. Um. So sometimes when that you have some kind of frame of reference, I think that's a great great kind of um assistant. Yeah. Something actually. like an assistant for your for your ordering device, right? Sorry. Almost like an assistant where like yeah, you can order to your table from, from any restaurant as long as they have that puck. Yep, that's um, right. The app is definitely supposed to be more of like a helper for the restaurant experience. Like I don't mean to replace waiters and waitresses. Ultimately, someone still has to bring your food and like interact with people that you know want to order through a person, maybe not through the app. Yeah. But um, it is supposed to make the interaction between the customer and the restaurant a little bit better. Um, so, there, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say there's a part of the app where you basically chat with the restaurant. Like you could request for your server to come by or water or napkins rather than flagging someone down, which yeah, usually yeah. I just feel a little awkward doing because I don't want to bother people. Yeah. So it's like those uh, some restaurants have those buttons, right? Mm -hmm. You press them and the beeper goes. Yeah, on that's right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, why not just do that with your phone? Yeah. I mean, it's a much more sophisticated piece of technology. It's a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, this thing looks really great, but um, on the menus, I notice it's mostly like an Uber Eats kind of model, but like mm -hmm. it doesn't show any pictures of the food, right? Do you feel like that's a feature that could be beneficial? Like, oh, so it actually, it does have support right now for pictures on the menu items. Um, on this little reel right here, it's a little too brief for you to see it, but there is a button that says show image. Oh, yeah, right okay, there. right there. Um, so what I did is because, once again, this is a mobile uh, data app, um, I want to save people's bandwidth by not showing the pictures immediately, so you just tap that if you want to see the images. Um, but there's also an option in the settings to have the image show by default. That's mm -hmm. the kind of polish that I put in that might have been a bit unnecessary for an MVP, but once again, I felt like it had to be really polished from the get-go nice. to get people to use it. Yeah. I think, uh, what do you think about making the other way around? Show the image and people can opt out to save that? That might be a better idea because I think images are one of the big selling points. And frankly, mobile data isn't that big a problem for most people. Like data caps are going up bit by bit. You know, connections are getting faster. LTE is everywhere, soon to be 5G. I could probably get away with just showing the images yeah. right away. And I think I might. Yeah, I think it'll be a great experience. Like one of the things um, that people are experiencing is like either 3D, not 3D, yeah, 3D or video. Uh, menus as well that show mm -hmm. like the picture in like either like like a rotating 
kind of I think aspect? I think I might have seen the same company that you might be talking about. So I went to the RC show just to get a feel for other restaurant tech companies. Um, I actually did see one company, one or two companies that are doing something similar. So it was a, a cool experience to see like how they approach it as well. I kind of like went there as like a secret agent. Yeah. Uh, I would just tell people I was a restaurant so I could see their stuff. Um, but I did see a company that basically 3D model food and then like had you view it, I think, through uh, the AR API mm. on Android or iOS. So you could like pan around the food, get a feel for it, see the size. And if something like this blew up, I think it would be cool to partner with a company like that. It may even like go a step further past pictures. It may like you could actually preview your food in AR on the table in front of you before you order it. Something that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, I already think this is like a very like novel future uh, facing kind of product, but that would be a way to, I guess, like take it to the extreme and yeah. be like the ultimate tech presence in a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is that gimmicky or is that possible? Uh, I guess it sounds a little gimmicky, but th it does actually sound truly useful. Um, yeah. That's definitely something I've thought of much, but like, like, that is something I'd want to do, I think. Think about it, like, that. sorry, like, yeah, the, the new iPhone 11, right? Mm -hmm. It has that 3D uh, selfie camera now, yeah, or like even 3D picture camera, so you can take a picture and it'll show like a 3D effect, mm -hmm. right, rotating effect. Like you can use like a phone now to take the kind of pictures or you would need. Right, yeah, that's a good point effect. as well. Um, the company I was thinking of would take the pictures for you, but I guess if the phones have the tech now, that's definitely something to use. I think people would prefer 3D pictures of the food than 2D. So if the sport is there, I might as well do yeah, stuff like, like that. Yeah, just like you had to show around and like look around mm -hmm. it. That's kind of a cool thing, right? Yeah. And then the day I'm a huge tech geek, so like a big reason I even started on making this app is because I just find it fun to develop things on the side. So if I could like push boundaries in some way or try new technology, I'm very tempted to do it. Even mm -hmm. if it might seem gimmicky, I think that would actually be something I kind of want to try myself thinking about it. Cool. All right. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> um, so what's the cost of a restaurant to get this? Um, so actually, at the moment, I'm giving it away for free because I've only piloted in two places so far. Right. And actually, none of those experiences would be ideal for this app because they were kind of small restaurant locations where your server is kind of always right there. And competing with a paper menu is one thing, but competing with your this person being right there all the time that you just say hi to, that's like, I still think there's some advantages to having tap menu in a restaurant like that. Yeah. Uh, namely, you could see more detail about the food. You can see pictures right mm -hmm. away. And that part's still useful. Um, but in smaller locations where it is easier to wave down your server, getting first-time users to try it is a bit more difficult. Mm. Um, so because I want to try and get in like maybe medium-sized restaurants in bigger places where they kind of do have a little bit of uh, a little more of like a funnel when it comes to the server experience, where like there's only so many servers going around. And you know you have to wait for your server to be free to either pay or order. Um, I think tap menu could really benefit restaurants like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving it away for free at the moment because we're trying to get those kinds of pilot experiences, um, the experiences that would be ideal for a tap menu to exist in. Uh, so and it's also no cost to me at the moment. So I'm not too focused on making money from this yet. Yeah. Because now, server costs are zero. Is it possible for customers to make payments through the app? Um, so that's the plan. And right now there is a pay section. Uh, through the pay section right now, you can only order your bill and how you want to order your bill. So you can either like, get a split bill mm. or have all the items on the bill or just have part of the items on the bill. So we offer that at least. But the plan is to have payment through the app, and that shouldn't be difficult to implement. That's probably the next feature I'm going to work on. Um, but I think that would actually also be a killer feature for the app. That would be because, amazing. Yeah. Um, not only does it save time for the customers, but it means that 
the restaurant doesn't need as many of these like expensive payment terminals that they have to pass around and customers have to wait for and service have to wait for. Yeah. I mean, you would imagine like something like this would already exist because mm. there's not many components that are involved here. Yeah, right? actually, like to me, when I first started working on this idea, I thought, okay, this is like way too intuitive. There must have been attempts at it. And I did look around, there have been other attempts, mm -hmm. but it kind of surprised me that no one was doing it in the simplest way possible, which was making it a web app so people don't have to download an app yeah. and making it accountless so people don't have to sign up for anything. Because once again, you're competing with a very simple experience of just like calling in your waiter or looking at a menu or you know, just asking for your food. So if you have to like sign up, that's another barrier to entry that I think just doesn't work for an idea like this. So as far as I know, there aren't that many I think there might be like companies in, in like Malaysia and China that are doing the QR code ordering thing mm -hmm. and doing it through a web browser as well. But at least in North America and everywhere else I've seen, um, competitors ask you to download an app and sign up, yeah. which I think kills experience. I think that's a key differentiator. Yeah, I mean, are you familiar with what's going on with Asia and, and like the, 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 the wireless pay? Uh, yeah, so QR codes are really big over the there. The cash and systems, right? Yeah, yeah, they're just like a lot more, I guess, tech forward when it comes to things like NFC and QR codes. I'm not sure why. I think it's that payments so in general, right? Yeah, like payments as well, paying through your phone, yeah. Yeah, I think it's because like they don't have such a outdated um, banking system, right? They're upgrading as they're developing. Yeah, I guess that might be it. Uh, they're built more mobile friendly. Mm. And plus, like, uh, especially with China, like how much control the central government has, mm -hmm. they can implement it like pretty wide scoping changes across the country, right? It's very. Um, yeah, that might be it as well. And then mm -hmm. I think about it, I think in both China and India, like a lot of people's first computer is their cell phone. So yeah. maybe that's why it's such a cell phone centric economy. Yeah, so I think like the banking system is being built around it. So it's very modernized compared to ours. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, I mean, me and Henry talk about this all the time. Like there have been so many times where people come back from China and they look here and they're like, wait, what do you mean you got to pay by card cash? So you still use this tap their phone everywhere. Or you're mm -hmm. ordering stuff with their phone, right? Yeah, even now when I uh, sometimes when I tap my phone, like it still bewilders people a little bit. They're like, "Oh, that's a thing." Yeah, uh, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, and to yeah. me that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would actually, I'm looking forward to the day when I no longer have to carry any physical cards. Yeah. Um, carrying cards is actually the future that you know people 20 years ago wanted when mm -hmm. they didn't have to carry cash. We got there. I think the next step is just have everything on our phone. It kind of makes sense when we have all of these cool features and security on our phone. But gotcha. instead, we're still using cards, which is a little bit weird. Well, well Hmm. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. future facing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, um, how do you like? What what security for this your system, right? Like, um, if people lose their phones and stuff, can people like order through it? Um, if people lose their phones, can they order through it? Uh, so the way the system works right now is, yeah, there's no account sign Payment up, set, but yeah. there is uh, a basically an anonymous authentica authentication that happens, which is like a feature of Firebase. Um. So like there are like things to watch out for because since it's just a web app, that means that like once you've connected to uh, to the app at a restaurant, like you tap your phone to the, to the NFC card, um, that like ties it to the table, but it's just a URL, it's a special URL that goes in your phone and opens up the app. You can still go home now and refresh the page and just like order from your home, which is like a bit weird since you're literally sitting at the restaurant. 
So like I did think about that. I have implemented features where um, it does like ask for a location, and therefore if you don't provide it, it'll at least like alert the restaurant that hey, this person might be ordering from somewhere that's not your restaurant. You might want to like take a peek, look at the table, make sure someone's there. Um, but yeah, the anonymous authentication also makes sure that uh, like it it mitigates things like spam and um, like bots creating accounts and like ordering through that. I don't mm -hmm. know if anyone would want to maliciously. I guess create orders for a restaurant uh, when they're not actually there or like use a bot to do so. But at least those things are mitigated should the problems arise, which mm. is like another reason I like Firebase because doing these things myself would be a little bit of a pain in the butt. Yeah, so pizza store only like 500 pizza, store, pizza orders all at once from nowhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, then that would be a bit odd. And hopefully they would like, you know, maybe think twice Catch about it. that anyways, yeah. be like who orders 500 pizzas to the table. But yeah. I guess it's nice to have those things mitigated. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Like, I really like the idea because, like, one of the things I'm trying to I'm following is like how tech is like slicing away of traditional businesses. Um, I mean, the siloing of businesses, right? That's traditionally been how businesses have uh, have grown. Is that you create your own department inside internally, and you control all the assets within your firm. And the more assets you can you put it in, the more resources you can dedicate towards it, the more competitive advantage you have. Mm -hmm. So, like. What DoorDash is doing to, um, I talked about this earlier episode as well. DoorDash is doing for um, the logistics industry, like delivery, right? Like Pizza Hut, they used to be so dominant because they had the resources to have a call center, right? The, the, like drivers to deliver for them, exclusively for them, maintain all that infrastructure. They can outcompete other stores. Yeah. They do their delivery model. Where DoorDash comes in now, lets everybody, you know, all you are all equal on the DoorDash app. You look through it, you anything you want, you order it, same, same kind of pricing, same kind of delivery time, right? And the companies don't even necessarily need to have a front-end presence, right? They can just be a kitchen cooking this stuff. Yeah, right? I think that's pretty amazing. Um, there are definitely downsides to, I guess this all kind of falls under the gig economy. Mm. And there's downsides to that in, like, in terms of like employee rights and uh, things of that nature. But on the other hand, it does like democratize things for small exactly. companies. Exactly, yeah. Um, it is nice to be like, you know, a mom and pop pizza place that can now deliver on the same scale as Pizza Pizza because you have access to all these drivers that are willing to deliver your food for you. Yeah. Um, so there's two sides to it, but I think overall, it probably is a good thing that we have these solutions now. Yeah. If nothing else, it's definitely another option. Think about all the problems that like uh, goes into that, right? Like, you have now, and now the uh, restaurants can now get access to delivery. Everyone can access, get equal right to delivery. You're not worrying about that anymore. Now you're focusing on becoming a better restaurant. Yeah, focus exactly. on better delivering a better product service, mm -hmm. better food, better experiences, right? Um, rather than styling your business and creating this infrastructure, you don't necessarily need to do that anymore. And now with if your apps, you don't necessarily focus on you know even printing out menus, mm -hmm. having that, that that physical copy that you can update all the time. You can update, put in costs that you can iterate to new product cycles, try new product items, and change a, a digital a digital menu item, menu menu. Um, how it looks, how it feels, how it functions, exactly. right? But also, if, if you introduce payments to it, now you don't have to worry about, you know, what cards do I accept or not? What point of sale service device do I need? All right, who's my merchant? Mm -hmm. uh, what are my fees am I paying? It's democratized that you're just getting paid no matter what. It's all built into the model. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, if you are, you know, a smaller restaurant, maybe you have a lot of tables and a lot of people that come to your restaurant, but this enables you to have that kind of service that I guess like the big franchises would have that you don't right from the get-go. Um, if you had a restaurant with a tab menu, you basically mm. have the the capital of like a full workforce that like is waiting on every table simultaneously. 
Um, and you would basically have the equivalent of having a payment terminal at every table without paying for it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like a, a bunch of other ways that would reduce costs. And it was actually cool that you touched on um, having digital menus that change automatically, because that is another feature of Tap Menu, which is that you know, if like your lunch is switching to dinner, the menu will do that automatically. If things are sold out, you can bring them off the menu. Yeah. And it's so dynamic. Yeah, yeah, it just takes away a lot of work, um, which I guess is what different languages you can display in different languages. Actually, that is set up. Yeah. yeah. So like you know, if you are maybe uh, French speaking an ethnic restaurant yeah. and you like have like customers that come in that you know normally speak or prefer to like read the menu in a language not English, um, that is something you can now do with digital menus. Yeah. Or if you're traveling and you're in new places, right? Yeah, exactly. You kind of um, yeah, for personalize this to you. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But I really like the idea of like the menu being customized for your experience, right? You know, you're gluten free or yep, you know, that's one of the options right now. Right? Or you're on a keto diet. It recommends based off your diet. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think that this is uh, I will say that like I hope I'm the person that blows this idea out of the water and I can get tap me into every single restaurant. But it's an idea that to me makes so much sense that even if I'm not the person to do it. There's no way I see us still using just paper menus 10 years from now when we have these incredibly powerful mobile devices connected to the internet that could just make the menu experience so much better. And that I've seen myself, and I've seen feedback from customers that have used it thus far saying that this is like an incredible idea. This is so cool. I want this everywhere. Um, I think it will definitely be the way menus work in the future for sure. That I am absolutely certain of. Great, man. That's really great. What are the biggest problems you're dealing with right now? Um, so turns out selling things to restaurants is really hard, even if it's free. Yeah. Um, I'll try going door to door, but uh, A, between managers and decision makers not being in the restaurant most of the time, and B, uh, restaurants already being very skeptical of uh, new technology or like just salespeople in general, because this is actually more of a thing than I thought it was, but apparently restaurants always get like salespeople coming in trying to hawk something. Yeah. So I've learned that that approach is definitely a lot more difficult, hence why so far I've only piloted in a friend of a friend's place in both cases. Um, so I guess the thing I'm trying to focus on now is like finding the best way to, to get a chance to talk to the But this is technology, and you would think that restaurants would want to embrace technology more? Yeah, I was thinking that because of things like DoorDash and the advent of like yeah. Ritual and Uber Eats, that restaurants are more open to technology than ever. Um, but when it comes to like sit down, uh, the sit down ordering experience, there is one thing that restaurants really want to hang on to, which is the the upselling of having a person there to like you know maybe encourage you to buy that extra drink or like another dish or whatever. Um, that said, I think there is real potential for even better upselling through an app like Tap Menu because if you know if the person's like input their preferences, then away you're already upselling them from the get go. You could like show them exactly what they want on the menu. Exactly. And then I also put, plan to put in features so that you could pair foods with other foods. So like maybe if you're ordering a filet mignon, you'll pair like the red wine that you have on the menu if you feel like yes. that's an upsell that will work for most people. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I do think upsell can be a big part of the app, but convincing restaurants that like, it, you know, maybe it's time to step away from this traditional yeah. uh, way that we order right now, it's the right thing to do, is kind of tough because it's not quite Uber Eats or Ritual, it is still a new thing. So restaurants are more open technology than ever, this is still new enough in like a weird way that it's still something that I have to try and sell to restaurants. I have to sell them on the idea. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not just that, but it's a cost of training, right? A new process. Mm -hmm. For restaurants, they actually run on a very razor-thin margin. Yeah. And time is so important. Everything runs mm -hmm. on like such a scheduled time mechanism. You're trying to maximize as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to take away time, you change your new process, new learning curve, and they get frustrated. Yeah. Immensely um, frustrated. 
So I guess that's the thing, though. It's, it, it can save them a lot of time if they implement it. It can maybe you know, reduce the amount of labor that they need in their front-end service. But I guess, yeah, there would definitely be, have to be a little the bit of training, training because, yeah. like I said, the first restaurant that I tried it in, um, it didn't look like the, the person that I was trying to work with was um, interested in, like, getting a staff to, like, you know, really be on board with it and, like, you know, telling customers about it. Um, it's a fantastic restaurant, and, like, the staff is really cool. And, like, I still think it was a good experience having Tap Menu in there. But the training is definitely very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really uh, interesting. So when you, when you talk to these companies, these restaurants, like, I find, like, these, some of these restaurants, I've talked to them as well for these kind of digital products. And some of them feel overwhelmed with, uh, you know, fact, Ritual, DoorDash, Uber Eats, mm -hmm. having these multitude of uh, options available for them. They're like, okay, there's too many things now to delegate and, and take care of at the same time. I mean, I go to some restaurants, you see like four different iPads orders coming in yeah. on top of their main point of sale system, on top of talking to customers, kind of customers calling in, right? And there's a frantic front end staff running around trying to deal with it, especially the smaller ones, right? Trying to do it all just to capitalize as much as possible. Um, there must be a there must be a way to integrate all this, right? Yeah, as a matter of fact, that was actually something I was thinking of as I worked on the back end for Tap Menu because basically you have to put in your menu items and you have to put in all these things about like when they should show and like mm -hmm. what should be visible when. And I was thinking like, do they really have to do this for every food service right now? Um, and I was thinking about like whether or not like maybe as like a, a side addendum to Tap Menu, I could like offer some kind of like consolidation of all these services into one thing. And it turns out there are startups already doing that. Yeah, um, I would imagine. I think yeah, and I, I think that's like a great idea because that's the thing. You can see it yourself as a customer. You walk into any restaurant and you just go to their front desk and you'll see like five or six tablets and just be like, huh, I guess that's the way things currently work. And like yeah. obviously that like, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I, I am like really rooting for the, uh, the companies that can consolidate all of this because I think it actually makes it easier for companies like me mm. that want to be like, yet like another addition to, uh, to their software stack. Um, it'd be much easier for them to integrate if it was just like, they put all their menu items and all their restaurant information into one app that shoots out to all these services and they can pick and choose which services work for them or making things better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. I'm glad their startups are addressing it. Yeah, but like these companies, how are you going to go up against DoorDash, $16 billion company? They're not going to want to, you know, be able to outsource the API to like a management system. Or yeah, system. yeah, that's the If anything, thing. they want their own point of sale system, if anything. They don't have, they want to control the entire end-to-end -end process. Um, so that'd be interesting to see how they do it, try to integrate. Yeah, so actually, That is a good point, actually. That's not really something I thought of, but now I think about it, I think uh, that's actually another area where Tap Menu could help. I mean, if you are really busy and you have a lot of orders coming through, then how about the app tells you, uh, hey, this is expected wait time for this, this one could come quicker. Um, 
Once again, I can't help but think that with digital menus, you can just like give the customer an answer right away. Yeah. And There's I more think it's yeah. the information that would make it less frustrating. Like rather than waiting for a server and then me being angry, like where's my server? It's been 10 minutes. But really this, the restaurant doesn't want to, you know, give you that person right away because they can't serve you right now. Just surface the information right away through the app and that works out better for everybody. Yeah. I mean, have you looked into like reservations, like table reservations? Um, that seems like something that maybe I could put in the app as well. But I mean, OpenTable already takes care of that. And that probably also has some competitors that are like pre-established in that space. Um, I, yeah, I feel like reservations are probably taken care of right now. So I haven't thought about it too much. But I have noticed that um, Uber Eats, I was reading this article about how they're thinking about getting into, or at least they're piloting this new feature where you can order for your table to sit down ahead of time. So the way my app works, you're racing down, you order at your table. Um, Uber Eats is looking at the possibility of like making an Uber Eats order, but to a table in the restaurant. So once you get there, they'll just sit you down and they'll give you the order that you ordered before you got there. So in a way, like other uh, food, uh, right, like the food delivery companies are maybe thinking about getting into space and they're edging in. Mm -hmm. They're not quite there yet, but they are, I guess, obviously thinking about it at least. So that is like almost tied to what you're saying about reservations. It's, I guess you also make a reservation because you're saying you're going to come there and sit down. So they're thinking about that as well. Um, and I do have like hunches that like POS services like Touch Bistro, which I think a lot of people have seen at restaurants, might want to get into this as well. But I think it also goes back to what you were saying about uh, DoorDash being like, you know, a big company that uh, probably wants to like lock things down for themselves. So like if like a company like Touch Bistro or other POSs want to get into the table side ordering software, I think they probably only do it for restaurants that use the Touch Bistro POS because mm -hmm. they want to sell that as well. Um, but with Tap Menu, I actually want to kind of be the, the, more the more open solution for people to use any POS they want. And hopefully I can get some POS integrations in the future. I'm still a small player, so I'm not there yet. But I do want it to be the thing that works for any POS system, but you can have table-side ordering, and you're not locked down to any service. With Uber Eats, it's probably going to be you have to give Uber Eats deliveries to get the feature of like ordering ahead of time to sit down in the restaurant. Um, I kind of like having this niche and being like, a piece that fits into like whatever overall restaurant technology stack you want to have. Because mm. as a developer, I kind of like things that way where in my technology stack, I can like pick and choose the pieces I want to build the whole structure. Mm -hmm. So how would that look like physically? Would, like how would the integration look like for you? Um, what kind of integration? Like if you want to integrate with other applications. Oh, um, so I would like if like, for example, um, that startup that has like, that wants to integrate all the delivery apps. Mm. I'm guessing the way that that one works is like you import your you import your menu items and then it gets filtered through to all the other applications. It'd be cool if I could integrate with that startup so that I can maybe pull from that mm. same menu and I could be the table side ordering and those other guys will be the delivery ordering. Um, I'd also like to integrate with POS's Light Touch Bistro uh, because so actually at the second restaurant that I tried it out, he has the Touch Bistro POS, but it would be nice if you could automate the orders, like how the orders go straight into the POS, because currently what happens is someone sits down, they tap their phone, they order through their phone, and then that goes to my terminal, which is yet another tablet, I guess. And then the person would get that order through the tablet and then put it into their POS, which would be a touch bistro iPad, and that's another tablet. Um, so the better, these integrations would help, I guess, reduce mm. the tablets and reduce the, the awkward human pass over between the services. Do you think touch bistro would be the perfect integrator? Um, I think so, because it's very popular uh, in Toronto restaurants. And just in my experience, I feel like 80% of the time when I walk into a restaurant, the POS they're using is Touch Bistro. 
the other 19% of the time, it's probably, like, I think, Silverware POS. Mm -hmm. But it seems like Touch Bistro does seem to be doing really well. They Have you talked to them? or I've tried emailing them, but I just haven't heard anything back. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm, like, emailing the wrong channel. I'm just, like, not sure how to go about that. That's actually something else that yeah. uh, I think as, like, a technology-minded uh, founder, um, there's, like, two areas that, like, I need to figure out, and that's, like, marketing and also just, like, I guess more business aspects, and that's one of them. Like, how do I get in touch with the touch bistro decision makers so that I could see if they might be interested in integrating with my solution? Because who knows? Maybe they aren't working on their own cable side ordering. I just have the hunch that they are, and maybe that's why they haven't gotten back to my emails. Definitely. But maybe they just haven't seen them, and they would actually think it is a really cool idea. Yeah. So hopefully I can, like, make that happen at some point. Yeah, we might be able to, we might be able to help you out with that. So okay, I can get you awesome. in touch. I can probably get you in touch with touch bistro. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I got a contact there. Um, I'll reach out. Okay, that'd be amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, mean, um, I mean, your solution is really great, and I think, like, what we're doing with Bloom, with BloomX, um, might integrate well with you. Like, what we do is, like, we out, or like we talked about this as well, we outsource sales for tech companies, mm -hmm. and we help with their implementation and go to market. Like, literally, directly to get them into market. Which is exactly what I need. Right? Perfect. Mm -hmm. So we'll definitely talk more about that. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, now, you said, you mentioned how your app, go the back end, like, for the, for the restaurant, the merchant side, they'll require an, uh, a tablet. Yep. You obviously don't. You don't provide the tablet. Um, for the two pilot restaurants, I did because okay. I, I don't want to ask someone to buy like a two hundred dollar Android tablet or whatever, uh, so they could pilot my thing. So yeah. I like I have like a assortment of tablets. I'm already like a tech geek. I already had a lot of tablets lying around. Okay. Yeah. Um, and still, for any restaurant that wants a pilot tap menu, I would happily provide them with a tablet as well. Um, How many are you looking to pilot? Uh, as many as are interested, probably like up to a maximum of like 10. I kind of just want to see it yeah. working, but like, uh, yeah, yeah, 10 is probably a good number. Um, so what are the next milestones? You want to pilot for 10? Like for how long do you want to carry a pilot for? I would say pilot for 10. Uh, if I get into 10 restaurants, that's a fantastic start. From there, may give it like three months before I start talking to investors. I think three months would be enough time to like prove to the restaurants that it works, make your service better. I could probably get a lot of good feedback in that time. Um, yeah, I just pull these numbers out of nowhere, but I feel, like, I feel like that fits. 10 restaurants, three months in 10 restaurants, and then I'd be ready to actually like blow the idea up to the next step and talk to investors, um, maybe start thinking about charging for the product at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we can get you in 10 restaurants. Uh, that would be amazing. Not a problem. Like, okay. So we'll definitely talk more about that, get you the pilot up and running. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm super interested in seeing what tap, where tap menu goes, just because it's, it's such an easy solution to a problem that you don't even think you have. Yeah. Right? Um, that's the thing, actually. I guess when I first thought of the idea, um, I was actually in Wilburn, Mexicana, uh, which is like this really good Mexican restaurant. I was just like sitting there, and I was like, I guess I didn't, I, like, I wasn't frustrated or anything. It's not like I was waiting a long time for my food, but I was thinking, you know, it'd be cool if I could just order my food through my phone right now. So it's not really, like, it's definitely not a pain point for people, but it is like a way to make things a little better. Yeah. Sorry, got distracted by no they're, doing a, they're doing a battery change right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, making that process better. So that's what you experience as pain point is at this restaurant, right, where you're like, how can this experience be better? Mm -hmm. I think it actually solves more problems for restaurants than customers, but yeah. I think it does just, like, make the experience better. Like, I'm a huge foodie. I'm also a huge tech geek. Hence, I just feel like this is the way I want to experience uh, restaurants. I want to go in there and be able to use my phone, um, just get a catered menu, uh, order right away. And just like just make the experience that much more effortless, that much, that much better. Yeah, 
I mean, it's something that these local businesses, not I can't call it local business, like small businesses, local businesses, especially the front end business retail, yeah. need, sorely need to update its technology stack to better compete with the online businesses. Yeah. Right? Um, just because the cost of like, of retail has gone so high, right? Like, especially with food and industry, right? Um, the interesting was like a few months ago, I discovered is like skip the dish and these, uh, these processes. Part of the strategy, like it seemed like almost like a conspiracy, but it became, it was actually the strategy was how they didn't necessarily want, rest, they wanted to have a subset of restaurants on their app that don't even have a front restaurant. So this could be an industrial cooking kitchen, right? Or they, they can get produces mm -hmm. food. They don't have a front restaurant. They don't have a dining service. They don't even promote themselves. They exist only on these only delivery applications. And people just come and pick up. And uh, there's one of our, one of the resident, so within the hub here, one of the resident um, companies here, they actually do a catering, uh, catering business. Mm -hmm. So they did some research. They went and looked at all the top delivery companies on all the major uh, delivery platforms in the area. They went and found like, I think the number was like 40% of restaurants um, don't even have a front end. Wow, okay, I'm actually surprised by that. Which is a huge number. Yeah, I never really thought about that. Maybe I should look at uh, Skip the Dishes in particular. Maybe yeah. they're like serving that base more. Yeah, because they're trying to create a, a system where like you don't need a front end service. You don't need any of this overhead of a traditional business, mm -hmm. uh, of a traditional food restaurant. You can compete with every other food uh, for company purely by delivery. Mm. And you focus on making good food, right? That's great, yeah, it shows the, the, the democracy of the gig economy and how you can now have these businesses that just didn't really exist before now exist because from the get-go, you have a delivery fleet, yeah. which for a mom-and-pop restaurant without a front-end just wouldn't be possible until now. Yeah, and that's what you're seeing with like software and doing, when, when you talk about software eating the world, what it's really doing with software is like atomizing the firm, right? Breaking down components that companies are building out within themselves and building out cross-platform solutions. So they're slicing away at like what traditional companies' uh, processes are, like vertical processes, and making a horizontal that allowing multiple players to have access to it. Yeah. And by lowering the cost of entry and barriers uh, to access, um, they profit. That's how they make, they make their money, by, by making the process more seamless. But uh, everyone else more gets more democratized, or so-called, uh, so we say, so we think, it's a democratized system, right? Mm -hmm. But um, like a lot of the bigger companies, like they cry foul because their competitive advantage is taken away. Smaller companies, like yeah, we can compete now a little better, uh, but that equalization is not necessarily seen yet. Like, I feel like this is the future of work. Right? We were just talking about this on an earlier podcast, right? The future of work, I think it's going to be more, more entrepreneurs, less workers, where the technology has increased the effectiveness of the average person, lowering the barrier of entry, so you can become more of a captive. Right, yeah. go out and build companies or businesses or even like side or passive passive income streams, um, multiple income streams. Right, can, they, the, the barriers of access have gone down so much. You know, before you wanted to open up a store, you know, set up all this infrastructure. Now you can still open up a Shopify store and have a virtual experience online, and outsource the market. Not even outsource, like their, your marketing department can be Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, run a great Instagram account and then redirect that to your Shopify account, and boom, you have a business. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. Right, and the, the, the barriers to entry has gone down. Yeah, and that's actually been my experience working on Tab Menu. Um, I don't know if it would have been possible to start to make this app as polished, seamless, and like feature-packed as it is as quickly as I did, uh, even five, six years ago. Mm. Um, being a developer, it's never been a better time to be a developer because of like 
serverless tools like Firebase and front-end frameworks like Vue and React that just like made the experience so much easier for one developer to be incredibly mm. productive. I think to make the app that I did, I probably would take in a team of like five or six people a year, uh, five years ago. Yeah. And yeah. I was able to make so that. So it's great. it's funny. Like five years ago, I actually ran into an app into a comp into a company. They're providing digital menus, so they're giving iPads to companies on a finance program, right? You finance it, and you can make digital menus because they see sing companies, uh, restaurants in Singapore and in Asia five years ago already doing that. You have iPad menu, menu systems. You see it now in a lot of sushi places, yep. but outside of that, you don't see it at all because it's way too expensive to get all these different tablets, provide that service, recharge it, maintain it, all these kind of things. It wasn't practical. Mm -hmm. And it never really took off in the Western markets. But certainly now, five years later, you have brought down the cost of everything. Mm -hmm. You don't need iPads for the entire store. All you need is one just for as a point of sale service, right, to check your, uh, check your orders. But just like a like that tap pad, like you know, it's gonna cost like a few cents to produce. I'm assuming, right? Uh, yeah, the NFC card is actually uh, ten cents. Yeah, per yeah. card. There you go, right? So you can send out a bunch of those to any restaurant, right? They put on like they can. I'm assuming they can program themselves. Mm -hmm. That's and right. And product, right? That's actually a new feature with iOS 13. You can use iPhones and program them now. So it's been it's actually a really good time for me to start this idea because of Perfect. the newest updates. Yeah. So now you can like with your, yourself program these NFC charge. This is what this table is, and you're making your own custom point of sale service uh, system, That's essentially, right. right? And bringing down that um, ease of access, bringing down the, the cost of entry. Yeah, Very so, yeah entry, exactly. Yeah. Any mom and pop restaurant now can basically have that sushi iPad experience for next to nothing, actually for nothing right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, so next day, steps, like, have you going to expand your team any further? Like, you've thought, made any thoughts of that? Um, Oh, there's thoughts of that, but I think I, I got proven in a couple places first before I move on to that stuff. Like I said, I brought on Cindy recently, who's been like super helpful. Um, so when I was actually at the pitch event, mm. uh, like our our little gimmick at the booth was uh, we had a bunch of cupcakes, and people would order the cupcakes through the app at the booth if they wanted to eat one. Yeah. And that way they get to like see the app, see how like easy it was to use, and that actually turned to be a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. And that was actually Cindy's idea. So I think. That's great. I realized the importance of having some other eyes on this idea, not one hundred percent. The reason yeah. why I talked to you was those cupcakes. <laughs> well, and there you go. So I have to thank for that. I have to thank for this. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, we, like one hundred percent. Like, whenever I see those QR codes, like I see those QR code apps all the time, and I'm like, I've never used a QR code until like probably this, these few months, last three months, the only reason, mm. right? And it's just like, why? You know, it almost seems like work. Like, why well, I gotta go scan this? Mm -hmm. And like iPhone, like it's a little more seamless. But with Android devices, like you need to download an external yeah, app or something else, to, yeah. right? Um, but with the Pixel phone, it's a little better because you have the Google Lens built in. But yeah, like I tried it with you, and like it was seamless. You tap it, boom, it just came up. Yeah. Right. Um, NFC is definitely blowing up, and if you think about it, there's just nothing easier than just tapping your phone. Um, I think once so, we get to the point where ev like everyone has an NFC enabled mm -hmm. phone, it seems like. We're at least halfway there with the latest updates iOS. But NFC has been around for about five years now. Long time, yeah. Right? But it's just taking a long time for Apple to open that up to NFC tags. They've had NFC payments for a while, but they haven't opened to just tapping NFC enabled things and having mm. something happen. And Android phones have had for a while, but uh, the NFC receivers weren't that great initially. Um, and it's definitely like a bit more of a weird thing that no one knew about. I still don't know if I could just walk up to the average person and be like, do you know what NFC is? Yeah. Um, they definitely know about like tap to pay, but. Uh, I think NFC literacy is increasing a bit, and I think that like, I think now is the right time for this idea. There have been other people that have attempted 
uh, QR code table side ordering and, and even NFC ordering in the past. Um, but so I think those ideas may didn't work. Do you have a background knowledge of what NFC is, technology? It's um, near field communication, right? Yeah, that's right. That's what it stands for. Do you know how it works or um, what it I is really? I just know that it involves using the power from the phone itself to basically like, I guess like light up the circuitry in the card and then get some data out of it. Um, to me, it's still mostly just magic. But <laughs> that, that's seems, cool thing. that seems way more magical than what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Like I like you never you don't actually see any like like little yeah. electrical beams coming out of the phone or whatever. But uh, I guess it doesn't need much power. But it, there's still like a little bit of technology in these cards, a little bit of circuitry, um, but it just doesn't need much power. So just bring the phone close enough to. So is it kind of like the chips in tapless cards, like tap cards? Um, like yes, cards? exactly that. Yeah. So like if you use a Presto card, those are actually NFC cards. Okay. Um, yeah, there's like a, NFC. Or like the like TD your, your bank card. Uh, you can tap. Yeah, I think that would be NFC as well. Any kind of cards you tap would probably be NFC. Um, when you tap like a fob though at a condor or whatever, that's um, RFID. And NFC is like a subset of that where you can basically have like uh, these cards that are unpowered that you could just, I think it works on like basically like a, like a lower frequency or a higher frequency, but it's a little different from fobs, but they're all RFID technology. So RFID, RFID, right? Yeah. Those things have some kind of power component to it. Um, like typically, yeah, I think anytime you're talking about RFID tag or reader, um, they usually, they're usually battery powered in some way. And, and then NFC. when it comes to the non-battery powered stuff, that's NFC's realm, I believe. Okay. Yeah, because you would see, like, especially on Android devices, like, turn on, uh, like, on the settings page, turn NFC, NFC on or off. Mm -hmm. Always have it off, because you like, what do you ever use this for, mm -hmm. right? But um, it's pretty much a completely different kind of, um, like signal, like how YouTube, like uh, sorry, how Bluetooth and Wi-Fi is different, um, right? And your NFC is a different kind of signal. Yeah, usually would use NFC to make a Bluetooth connection. So like, for a while there was uh, Bluetooth speakers where you would pair your phone with the device through NFC. Mm -hmm. So NFC isn't like an ongoing communication; it's more of like a ping, mm. um, where you could exchange a little bit of information, and then you could use that to say like, "Hey, I'm device A, you're device B. Let's Bluetooth each other." Um, so it's not like a competing standard with Bluetooth. It's more like something that works with it typically. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. So you do most of your Bluetooth devices have NFC? Um, I think it was definitely a big thing in Bluetooth speakers for a while. I don't know if uh, it's still something you use much, but I would expect to see more of that in Bluetooth devices because I just think NFC is picking up in general. Like mm. at the very least, people at least have enabled on their phones now because tap to pay is kind of yeah. becoming more of a thing. So let's go back to like the payment space. Um, like the payments, like payments in like uh, Asia, it's crazy with like WeChat integration with WePay and all that, right? You can just order directly through these mini apps on this one major app called WeChat. And do you see anything like that happening in the North American markets? Like, what do you think the future of payments are? Like, I, do you know yeah, anything I about think, it? I like, think it'll absolutely pick up. Yeah. Um, I think it's, well, we have our WeChat or our WePay equivalents, which is pretty, for North America, I think it'd be Google Pay and Apple Pay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tap to Pay, I think, is definitely picking up. Using Apple Pay or Google Pay on online retailers, I think, is also picking up. I remember I had one friend that was explaining to me, and they're like, you got to have Google Pay. And I was kind of surprised they said that, because I didn't know it was like that far reaching yet. But I think people are very accustomed to those things. Um, so uh, yeah, I think like just basically electronic payments through like our single, um, our single service entities, so, like Apple Pay, PayPal, Google Pay, I think people will prefer using those things to make all of their payments in the future. You so I will definitely support those in Batman. Yeah. So you you believe in a cashless society? Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, I okay, I know, like, I definitely have some friends that are like very paranoid about having a cashless society. Yeah. 
Um, but I don't know, ultimately, I think it is a good thing. Um, if we did have a cash society, okay, that's like a whole political debate in itself. But like, I think I am generally for it. Um, it does like help, you know, uh, reduce like money laundering crime and fraud and things like that. Yeah. Uh, if you have a cash society. Also, I just don't like carrying things in my pockets. Like I said, I wish everything just worked through my phone. I got my driver's license on there, all my payment cards, all my loyalty cards. I like having. How do you have pockets. your driver's license on there? Like. Oh, I'm saying that I would like to oh, yeah, 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 yeah. in the future. I like having empty pockets. Yeah, no, me too, absolutely. But what happened to your phone died? Um, then I guess you're just a, a, a someone that doesn't exist now. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Hopefully battery tech could go up too, so it never happens. But yeah. that would be a problem. I think like one of the major concerns about like a cashless society or like everything going digital is the ease of abuse. Like, so let's say like we go into a system where like you know, we say someone who's on a criminal trial, or if you're on, if you're suspect list on this, we can shut off access to everything. Yeah, that's true. You know, fair. you just cut you right off from the system, and suddenly you're completely cut off. Yeah, that right? is definitely a fair point against the cash society. I think that's exactly what my paranoid friends are worried about. Maybe yeah. I shouldn't even call them paranoid. Maybe they're right. Yeah, like even like a political political rivals, right? Like right now, we we think very highly of our democratic society, but like if, we, if any kind of extremism does come up, right, like, which history has shown that sometimes happens in even the, even the most progressive societies and they start abusing power by like saying like you know passing some kind of law that could allow you know someone to be silenced like that that's far reaching use of power right yeah you're absolutely right um that is definitely a trade-off to going digital in every single way convenience mm -hmm. goes way up but potential to really ruin someone's life i guess also goes way up if everything is tied to your digital footprint i guess then yeah i mean even do a lot like, of damage I think like these major platforms like Twitter, YouTube, they're all getting this flack now for even like cutting off people. So like it's one thing to suspend accounts, but if they ban somebody, mm -hmm. it's like you guys have become so big, you're almost like a public utility. And if yeah. you ban someone off a massive platform like that, you're effectively silencing them. Yeah. Right from like you know, it's like you're pulling it's like you're almost blinding somebody mm. or you're deafening them. You're pulling off a sensory kind of way of for them to interface with the world. There's so many people on this platform. Yeah, right? I mean, there's entire media companies that work straight out of YouTube, and that's been the case for a long time. Entire like game media companies that only exist on YouTube. And if YouTube was to say, "Hey, we've had enough of you guys," then that's like the livelihood of like a crew of people that I guess is completely ruined. Yeah. So um, imagine if like payments was d d taken care of widely by one major company or uh, one major player mm -hmm. or oversaw it and be like, "Okay." You've done this before. You're no longer allowed to use the system at all. Yeah, then I guess they just become homeless. I don't you know, know what I mean? Like, pay for anything. Yeah. yeah. That is definitely a big fear. And uh, especially when it comes to things like payments, we definitely have to look at like regulating uh, monolithic entities and monopolies a lot more. Yeah, I mean, sure. that's one of the freedoms of the whole idea of cash, right? The idea that like, you know, this is a relationship between me and you. We understand that the cash means something and that, okay, we're exchanging this physically. There's a meaning to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and people still have that, that mentality for it. So I don't really think cash or even a barter system it will ever go away. Mm -hmm. People still trade stuff nowadays, you know? Yeah. Like one of the things that innovation has shown is that past innovations don't disappear just because new things come up. Like you can go online right now and buy like a steam powered like crop duster or something, you know, like some yeah. technology that's been around like 200 years ago. Record players have made a comeback recently. Right, you can buy it exactly how it was made before. So it's like how innovation iterates on top of existing innovations but you don't really necessarily get rid of the old ones. It's kind of like evolution, or like, yeah, new things evolve and come up, but the old things are there as well. They don't yeah. necessarily die off completely. 
Um, so I don't think we're going to go to a completely cashless society. It feels like there's still going to be some paranoid people that are going to make their own cash and still yeah, run. I, I guess actually like there isn't that much benefit to like literally being a cashless society. If like I could get away with not having cash 99% of the time, that's great. But I also do like options and yeah. like ultimately, yeah, I guess we want options for everything. Like I don't own a record player myself. But I think it is cool that people could like play their vinyl mm -hmm. on a record player now if they want to. Yeah, can you look, imagine looking back and uh, thinking like how we think of vinyl records, thinking about looking at people with cash. Yeah. Like, wait, you have that? That's yeah, I maybe mean, it'll be this cool vintage thing in the future where people are like, you, yeah, you have some cash, you're going to pay with cash? Oh, look at you, you hipster. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Well, man, Nick, thank you for coming on. All right, this has been great. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, um, it's been a great conversation, and I wish you all the best with that menu, man. Well, thank you.